The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Yes, and hello. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodderand. Joining me as always, Jake Watroba up in Minnesota, Armand Kafai down in Dallas. And yes, on today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the U.S. men's national team, the Gold Cup, the roster, chat some U-20 World Cup. And we got U.S. men's national team insider for Yahoo Sports, Doug McIntyre, calling in. So, Yes, busy, busy show. Listeners, make sure you follow us on the Twitter machine at Pod. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get the notifications. Leave us a five-star review. And Armand, summertime is happening and MLS continues to go on. Let's just continue a thought from the last couple of episodes. How much MLS have you watched in the last week? You see, Steven is trying to hit me with that, oh, Armand's not watching MLS, MLS sucks kind of thing. But joke's <laughs> on him. I'm out of school, so I've watched a lot more MLS. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of unwillingly, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Uh, lots of MLS, lots of football. Like, it's been good. I've been clipping up, like, GIFs now and stuff like that. So, I guess I'm a tactics expert. Shout out Joseph Lowry. Hey, Jake. Hey, Steven. You're at the Minnesota United game. How did you enjoy those flags? I found a spot where there are no flags in my line of view. So uh, a lot better than than my first, uh, the home opener, my first go around this season. So, yeah, I'm raging war on flags. <laughs> Sorry. So, so, like, how badly do they, like, impair your, like, vision of the match? I mean, when you're standing behind one that's, you know, 14 by 14 feet, I mean, <laughs> it takes up your whole view. I mean, so, like, hot sports take, like, I, I never really understood, like, I know it's, like, a, I guess, a way to show passion and stuff like that, but, like, I never understood, like, why there has to be so many. Like, why not, like, two or three? Like, why that's a great so question. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand what they mean, what they represent. I don't get why... I saw one yesterday that had – it was like a Minnesota United flag, and then there was uh, a flag of Eintracht, like in Germany. And I just thought, what the hell does that have to do with Minnesota United? I don't – are we just waving flags to wave flags now? Is that what we're doing? Jake, next game, we should buy you a flag, and it just be the most random flag. Let's make an Uncle Sam soccer podcast flag, oh, and then I'll just wave. Yes. Yes, let's how, do how that. How about – 
Say less. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on we'll that. We'll work on it. Say less. Hey, um, listeners, question of the day. How much stock are you putting into the Gold Cup? It's coming up, fellas. U.S. men's national team have a couple of friendlies or warm-up games against Jamaica, against Venezuela, and then they kick it off June 18th. Armand, I, I want to begin with you. How much stock are you putting into the U.S. men's national team's games in the Gold Cup? Are we supposed to take anything away from whatever it may be or whatever may happen? I mean, yeah. I mean, you could take away a natural progression and be like, hey, look, we're progressing well under Greg Berhalter. The team is looking good. The team has ideas. The team has organization. But overall, I mean, I guess if it's still around – the 2021 Gold Cup or where the Copa America, whatever it's going to be going on before the World Cup is going to be a more accurate representation of what's going on. So this Gold Cup just, I would, you know, I would kind of, I guess, expect a lot of, maybe not that much stock into like the actual thing itself, but still the expectation that the U.S. should at least reach the semifinal in a very weak region. I just want to see, in my eyes, progress. I mean, that's not really a stock. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about stocks, I wouldn't put maybe 40%. If we're going to throw a number at it, I have 100. 40% of my stock I'd throw into there. I mean, outside of that, I don't – there's nothing much that you can really take away because things change, right? Players pop up. Players get older. Players get younger. or well, the young players come up. I wouldn't put that much stock into this Gold Cup, but I still want to see a stall performance. Yeah, listeners, tweet at us. Like I said, Unksam Soccer Pod. Tell us what type of stock you're putting in this U.S. men's national team. And Jake, before we get to Doug McIntyre, what is the line of failure or success for this U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup? Well, for me, I think if you don't win it, it's a failure. I mean, this this competition's played on U.S. soil. They should have, I'm using quotes here. They should have. Uh, a home field advantage every Should single have. match, <laughs> <laughs> but like this region, this region's not very good. I mean, they're really only competing against Mexico, Costa Rica, maybe you can say Panama. So for me, it's it's kind of gold cup or bust. I mean, this Mexico team's pretty is pretty good. So I I expect a finals appearance, but I want to see them win. I want to, you know. This team in these these last two Gold Cups, uh, well, sorry, the the previous Gold Cup where they lost to Jamaica in what the semifinal, and then they went and lost to Mexico in the Confederations Cup uh, playoff. Uh, they need to they need to perform better. They need to get a they need to, this is an important tournament for Greg Berhalter to get momentum building as we uh, approach World Cup qualifying. Yeah, I just don't think you could put a that much stock, and the line of success and failure is rather minimal. I think what you should really focus on is the progression of players, and the question I think you should really focus on is who does Greg Berhalter trust? This these games will mean something. These games have weight. Now, yes, they're against competition that will never, ever, probably never, ever see the World Cup unless it gets expanded to, you know, 48 Yes, even that's harsh. 
That's harsh. But it's the reality of it. You don't think my Barbados boys can make the World Cup anytime soon? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yes, the U.S. has a quote-unquote hard group against Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, and sorry for this mispronunciation if I mispronounce it, but Guyana. Guys, the U.S. men's national team should be in the final at the very least. But besides the point, the Gold Cup winning it does not bring any international prestige. However, who does Greg Berhalter trust and what players will perform? That's what you should keep your eye on. Now, we'll continue this conversation, but up next, Doug McIntyre on the potential roster for the Gold Cup. Alrighty, listeners, joining us right now is U.S. Men's National Team Insider, writer for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on the Twitter, at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, thank you for joining us. How are we doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing good. I'm doing good. I don't know about Steven and Jake, but uh, I'm doing pretty, pretty good over here in Dallas. But Doug, obviously, the Gold Cup's coming up. Big tournament for Greg Berhalter. Our question of the day is how much stock are you actually putting into the Gold Cup? I want to start kind of our conversation with that. How much stock are you putting into the 2019 Gold Cup? Yeah, I think it's a lot. Um, and, I, and I have to think that Greg Berhalter and his staff um, you know, are, are making it their number one priority for the year. Um, it's a big tournament for a number of reasons. It's, it's obviously the first set of competitive games um under Burhalter and his staff. So, you know, he's six months into his job now. He's we've seen four games. Uh and they've all been friendly. So that's a really small sample size. So I'm I'm personally excited to see a bunch of games in a row. I think the US team is obviously hoping that it's uh that it's six games they go all the way to the final. Um and six competitive matches that you know games where the results matter. And um, you know, when you look at how the future is playing out. We know there's no Confederations Cup now. So, you know, you look at how important this tournament is from that point of view. You know, this used to be the Gold Cup that would that would potentially get you the Confed Cup, the dress rehearsal for uh, the World Cup in, in the host nation a year out. So that's off the table now. So there's two ways to look at it. That makes the Gold Cup less valuable on, on one hand. And on the other hand, it makes it more valuable because there's really not a lot of opportunities for the United States to play competitive matches between uh, between now and uh, and the next World Cup in Qatar, and these are the teams they're going to be playing and uh, in, in qualifying against. And we all know what happened last qualifying round. So certainly, you know, those games are not going to be taken lightly. So um, it's really the only opportunity outside of the Nations League, which starts this fall. And, and I don't know, you know, how important that tournament's going to be because you're talking about you know games against. Smaller CONCACAF nations, uh, you know, nations like Cuba and Canada, the U.S. have been drawn drawn against. No disrespect to Canada, I think they're they're a team that has a chance to compete, uh, you know, or at least get to the hex this time around. If there is a hex, we still don't know what the World Cup qualifying format mm-hmm. is going to be. Um, so, not not a lot of chances to get competitive matches for the U.S. So, I think for that reason, um, to get a number of games teams in a row, I think uh, I think Greg Brawl is going to learn an awful lot about his team this summer, and and so are we. So so is everyone that's going to be watching the games as well. Doug, I want to ask you, if the 
U.S. men's national team does not win the Gold Cup this summer. Can we deem the tournament as a failure? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, look, it depends. There's, there's, there's various degrees of failure. If they, if they get to the final and steamroll everybody and they play a, a great game against Mexico and it's a fantastic match and, you know, they, they happen to, you know, they happen to lose on penalties. Uh, well, then I think you look at it, you, you try to look at it reasonably. Um, that said, if that exact scenario plays out, I don't think any U.S. fans are going to be happy. And I, and I know the U.S. players and, and coaching staff won't be either, um, you know, losing a final to their, to their, their arch rival and really the team that's uh, right now the, me- the measuring stick for, for all others in CONCACAF. So, uh, but I, I, listen, I've said from the start that I think that, that the U.S. has to win this Gold Cup. They're the defending champs. Um, and it's been a while since they've won a, um, a gold cup where all teams have their best players available. So U S won the last, the last two off year gold cups, if you will, the year before the world cup in 2017 and 2013, when, when, when Mexico, U S and all the other nations didn't have the best players available because they had already played for their countries during qualifying. And in those years, um, the gold cup was a little bit later on. This is the real thing. And the U.S. hasn't won a Gold Cup where all teams had all their best players since way back in 2007 um, the, against Mexico, and that's a long time ago now. I mean, they lost in uh, they lost to Mexico in 2011, and they didn't they didn't make the final in 2015, um, famously beaten by by Jamaica in the semis. So it's really an opportunity um, in in a goal. This this particular Gold Cup, I think, is extremely meaningful for the U.S. for all those reasons. Doug, what is the biggest flaw? you could see with this U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter? I think it's a bit early to, to, to put your finger on that. I mean, the one question I've had from before the U.S. played, played its first game under, under Greg was, are they going to be able to play his sort of possession-based system um, not only against the very best teams in the world uh, that make it very difficult for you to have the ball, but is he going to be able to play the system against, against CONCACAF opponents? Um, particularly in road games, in away games, away qualifiers where the conditions are not in your favor, the sort of field conditions that you're going to find in, in away matches um, are not really conducive to pinging the ball around and playing out of pressure in the back. I mean, that's just the reality. So a little bit of a different situation in the Gold Cup. Um, but I do think that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some challenges. I mean, these teams are going to, they're going to sit in some of them and, and with a low block that the U.S. is going to have to break down. Um, and then there's going to be teams that come out in pressure and, and, and we're going to see if the U.S. can play the sort of uh, beautiful soccer that, that Berhalter wants to play to move the ball around and, and to, to create opportunities that way. So um, I, I still think through the, the very small sample size that, that we have, we haven't really we haven't really figured out if Greg's system is going to work or not. It looked very good against Ecuador. I mean, I almost did throw out the early year friendlies um, against Panama and Costa Rica at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year in January and February with an all MLS squad. You know, those, those, those games are, are B-level games. If that, um, I don't think we learned a ton about, uh, about how effective Greg's system can be in those matches, but certainly the two March games against quality opponents, yeah, the, the, the win against uh, Ecuador and the tie against Chile, um, U.S. looked really good playing Berhalter system against Ecuador, and then they struggled a bit against Chile, a, a team that is known for its high press, and it really made the U.S. uncomfortable at times. But they did a decent enough job, but uh, and certainly they're not going to come up against any team of the quality of Chile at this at this Gold Cup. But um, I think you know any coaches that are scouting, uh, certainly the U.S. U.S. team's group opponents will be. 
um, scouted in the U.S. They're going to look at, at how uh, at how Chile was able to, to put the U.S. under pressure and 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 maybe rec, you know try to replicate that in the in the in their group stage uh, matches against the U.S. Now, Doug, the big news the big news that we heard this week was Tyler Boyd switch from New Zealand to the men's national team. Now, maybe I'm just maybe not that connected. And maybe I don't watch that much Turkish football. But the first time I really saw uh, him play was that goal. I think I started circulating. Uh, around Twitter when he's taking on that guy one-on-one and had that nice low-driven finish. Um, Doug, can yeah. We, yeah, with this switch, can we expect a call-up uh, for Tyler Boyd? 100%. I don't think there's any question he's going to be in camp. And, and so let, let's, let's be clear about what's happening here, guys. So this week uh, we're going to get we're going to get a um, roster, if you will. It's not mm-hmm. the final roster for the World Cup. Both of do into camp until the um, I'm not sure that we see the final roster for the U.S. until after that first friendly. They're going to play mm-hmm. two tune-up two matches before the Gold Cup kicks off. Uh, the first one on, on July 5th in D.C. against Jamaica, and the next one a few days later in Cincinnati um, against Venezuela. So I don't think we're going to find out the until after that first game. Um, and, the, and the guys that are going to come into camp when camp kicks off uh, starting on, on uh, the 27th of this month. Uh, it's not going to be the, the final Gold Cup roster. It's going to be an extended roster, and I think you're going to see a number of players who uh, are going to come into the camp looking to, to maybe grab one of the final final spots for the tournament. Uh, and some other guys that I think we're all just going to take advantage of getting the chance to see up close and personal. That March window, um, which it was a short window, the players were only get together uh, three days before the first game. Usually players are Sunday or Monday, and the game's on Thursday. Um, so really short window, not really conducive to seeing a lot of the European-based players that are kind of on the fringe. It was really, um, you know, uh, to a large degree, a lot of the same players we saw in January and then sprinkled in uh, nine or ten players that weren't with that that group. So the majority of the roster in March had already been in before, um, and you can understand why Berhalter wanted to keep some continuity there. But I think this time around, given that they're, you know European seasons are over now, he's going to be able to bring in some guys and have a look at them and see and see uh, see what they have and then see if they can uh, they can contribute this summer. But in Boyd's case in particular, there's no way he files a one-time switch um, to the U.S. without the Federation being involved. Uh, to me, that tells me that he's absolutely going to be called in um, at least for the first stage of, stage of camp, and then we'll we'll see if he's on the final roster for the Gold Cup. Doug, are there any players that you can think of that might get called up uh, into camp that? might surprise some people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I don't think anyone will be surprised about Boyd now. I think if you'd said it a week ago, people would have been. But the fact that he's filed uh, a switch telegraphed that decision. But my understanding, and, and Tab Ramos has talked about this, Tab, the under-20 coach, and U.S. Uh, under-20 is a very, very good team, and they're, they're going to kick off their tournament um, uh, on Friday um, over in Poland. Uh, there, there's Tab said there's a number of guys that could have easily have been on that that under 20 team that were, um, and you know you look at the obvious one it's Josh Sargent uh, who just finished the season with Werder Bremen in the in the Bundesliga his first half season uh, with the first team uh, at at Werder Bremen uh, that, that's a guy I think you would at least you would think it's going to be called up for the beginning of camp um, whether he's on the Gold Cup roster again I'm not sure but I do think there'll be a couple of even younger guys that have done very well in MLS this year. That for whatever reason, they just didn't make the cut uh, for Tab. And, and, a, and a couple of those guys off the top of my hand, you have Brendan uh, Aronson, 
in Philadelphia. He's been terrific, terrific two-way player um, for, for the union. He's, he's starting games uh, and contributing as an 18-year-old at MLS. So, um, you know, I think if, if Berhalter thinks that he's a guy that might be around in the future, why not call him in, bring him into camp? The, the camp is in suburban D.C., not very far from Philadelphia. Really easy to get Aronson up uh, and, in, and in for a look for a few days. Um, and, I, and I think there's a couple of other other guys that are in that mold that are that are young MLS players um, that, that are doing well. James Sands, New York City, another another guy. And I think they'll be in that mold. So can, is it kind of in that mold of like a uh, a, a kind of young player that you know they just bring along? Maybe maybe won't play, but just get that more international experience of sorts. Absolutely, I think just guys that you want. To, I think I think Bill Halter, and I think he said this on the record. He wants to see as many players as he can. So it's an opportunity to bring some guys in. Whether they actually play in that friendly on the fifth against Jamaica uh, remains to be seen. I, I don't think someone uh, or guys like uh, like Aronson and Parser are going to be in contention for the Gold Cup roster. I don't think that's realistic. But I do think it is realistic that to make up the numbers early on during that first week when, when a lot of, of the MLS players anyway are still going to be sticking with their clubs for one more week before joining the, the, the camp. I think it's a perfect opportunity to get some of these young guys in and just have a look at them uh, in, in the flesh, uh, especially if they're guys that uh, we think are going to be around uh, with the national team in the future. Doug, last question here. Let's talk about the competition the U.S. will be facing. Obviously, you have Mexico, but it, it sounds like these other nations, maybe I just have not been paying attention to what's been reported to the Twitter world, but it seems like a lot of focus is on the U.S., but Mexico seems to be sliding on the under the radar. And I, I don't remember which player it was, but one Mexican says, like, yeah, they look forward to the Gold Cup, and they're putting a lot of stock into it. And I think they feel like they're under Tata that they could be a real f- fun team to follow, especially in this Gold Cup. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be it's going to be a different team than we saw at the World Cup last summer. And, and for me, the big news out of Mexico is the fact that they're not going to have Carlos Vela. They're not going to have uh, uh, Javier Chicharito Hernandez on that squad. So, you know, basically the, the guys, the two guys that have been their top uh, attacking players or two of their top attacking players over the last number of years are not going to be with them in the tournament. Mexico's a great soccer country. All it produces good players. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have a strong roster. And, uh, and absolutely, Tata Martino, you know, in his first major tournament, just like Greg Berhalter, what, you know, he has a lot to prove. And, and the fans in Mexico are going to expect nothing less than a title. Um, and for them, if they lose the Gold Cup, um, that's a failure, just the same way it is, it is for the U.S. So uh, I think we all are hoping to see that U.S.-Mexico final. It's kind of amazing that we haven't the last number of editions in the, in the Gold Cup. Again, 2011, the last time the two kings of the CONCACAF uh, met met in the in the Gold Cup title game, uh, and it hasn't actually happened as much as you would think it it would have over the years. Uh, you know, again, I, I think back to 2000. So there was 2007, 2011. That was the final. With you know, 2005, 2003, it wasn't. So no guarantee these two teams actually meet in the Gold Cup. U.S. has to get through its group first. I, I think they'll do that. I do think it's a you know, relatively speaking, a, a, a tricky group for the the U.S. compared to what they could have gotten. Uh, you know, you have, you have uh, the three opponents that were uh, they were all involved in the hex. Uh, it's the only group that in the Gold Cup that, that has that. So the storyline against Trinidad and, and Tobago writes itself. I mean, I, I think that there's 
there's the obvious revenge angle, even though, of course, nothing that the U.S. does in a group stage of the Gold Cup is going to make up for that, that loss uh, in Trinidad uh, that prevented the U.S. from going to the World Cup um, in 2018. Uh, and then Panama. Panama is always a team that plays the U.S. tough. I mean, they're usually close games. Um, you know, but the, the one exception I think of recently is the game, the game before uh, that terrible loss in, in Trinidad when the U.S. beat up on P- Panama 4 nothing. Uh, would have been nice if they could have saved a couple goals uh, for for Cuba, but didn't happen. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean the U.S. will get through that group, I think. But uh, some interesting matchups, and and I certainly hope it's U.S. Uh, and Mexico in the, in the final that we all want. Doug, thank you so much for taking time today to join us. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find you on Twitter and where we can find your work. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always love talking to you guys. Uh, I'm a writer at Yahoo Sports. You can find my work there uh, and on Twitter at by Doug McIntyre. So thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate it. Awesome, Doug. Thank you. you- All righty, listeners, make sure you give Doug a follow. Great insight. U.S. Men's National Team there. Yahoo Sports. Let us know what you're thinking there during the uh, chat with Doug at Sam Soccer Pod. And Armand, Jake, Panama. Interesting squad. But I- I'm still fascinated more so by Mexico. I mean, who isn't fascinated by Mexico? Tata Martino plays fun, electrifying exciting soccer with players that can play at that fun electrifying level like we, we saw what we did with Atlanta but but here's They're here's fun. what I can't I can't help but think Greg Berhalter versus Tata I don't know if this is if mathematically or the way the format works out that US and Mexico could be in the final I haven't looked at that but if they do or whatever point I mean a lot of people will go back to the crew versus Atlanta and the way they've set up, especially in the playoff games, where you have a lot of similar styles, Greg Berhalter, the way he plays. Now, he gets probably has more talent at his disposal than for what he had with the crew versus Tata and Atlanta. But that's a fascinating matchup. That is a clash right there of tactics, of ideas. And I, I'm excited to see that. And I, I really hope that one day this Gold Cup tournament, or whatever you want to call it, actually grows where not just three or four teams are in contention, but maybe six or seven teams are. And, and the group stage becomes a lot more difficult for the U.S. Steven, it sounds like you're you're almost asking for a competition between Kami Bowl and CONCACAF to where it's a much more difficult... Uh, the smell like Copa America is, is that what, is that what you're asking is, for? Is that what you're asking uh, for? Yeah, well, that this is what they need to go for is they need to peg the U.S. against bigger and better competitions. That's you, that's how you get better. You do not go up against these tinier nations and expect to somehow be able to compete at the World Cup. You're in and you're out. But that's a different conversation for another day. Now, Armand. You had some interesting pointers regarding the roster. What three players are you looking for or hoping that get called up into Greg Berhalter's U.S. Men's National Team? All right, well, since the Uncle Sam soccer podcast, we just really love spicy takes. To be honest with you, I don't think his takes are even that spicy. But I'm really interested to see uh, – I would love to see Christian Roldan 
get called up. I think he's been playing really well with Seattle. I think he could either be a good player off the bench or a good box-to-box midfielder uh, within the midfield. I honestly wouldn't mind. I really, really wouldn't mind seeing Tyler Boyd. I mean, obviously, Doug said Tyler Boyd is going to be in there. But from what we I've seen when I actually started looking into his film, he's like a defender that takes on opponents. And I don't know how many players that the United States have that actually have wingers that can take on opponents. I don't think there's many, to be quite honest with you. And honestly, um, I guess my, my third my third player would be uh, any left back that's not Daniel Lovitz or Tim Ream. Because, man, left back looks terrible. I guess Anthony Robinson it might be deserving of a call-up, but I'm not sure he's ready at this level. I, there, there needs to be a better option at left back. Um, and in those three spots specifically, I'm really interested to see how uh, those will line up. Christian, roll down. Three goals, one assist in 13 games play for the Seattle Sounders. And he's been a big contributor for the club and playing well. Obviously, that's in the important part. But Armand, with Greg Berhalter's tactics and something that we've been discussing on the show, it's that Greg Berhalter is looking for the right player for his system, not necessarily who's the most talented. Right, right. And I think that's the big conundrum that's coming, especially at left back. Because I feel like, okay, maybe there are some better options at left back. I can't really tell you off the top of my head. But who's the right fit? Who's going to be that guy if Greg Berhalter says, you know what? We're going we're gonna to tuck in that right back, or we're going to tuck in that right back into midfield. That left back can't push up and he's be more of a central offender. If that's the case, Tim Ream checks off all the boxes. Daniel Lovitz can check off all the boxes. But talent-wise, they've let a lot to be desired. They don't look good. Tim Ream looked awful. Awful in those friendly matches. Jake, you saw that. Tim Ream's forces were not that good. And Lovitz, Lovitz isn't the best. He's a good, serviceable player. I'm not saying he's bad, bad, but he's not the best. And I wonder if that will end up biting him by, by maybe choosing a more fit or a talent and maybe, not a, maybe a more nuanced mixture of both. I mean, Armand, there has to be a more talented defender than Tim Ream in the pool, right? I mean, like you're saying, if the left back is supposed to just stay central and, and be a central defender, there has to be a center back somewhere in the world that, you know, for the U.S. that can play left back in Greg Berhalter's system. Yeah, I mean, there's probably better options out there, but I mean, if Berhalter is going to go with more fit and more familiarity, I mean, why not Ream and why not? Lovitz. I mean, it's a really interesting situation with that. And I'm interested to see how it's going to work out because I think that's the weakest point on the roster by far. And it might get exploited by uh, teams in the Gold Cup, especially Mexico and Tata Martino. Guys, uh, let's talk about the center back pairing. And Aaron Long and Brooks are both injured and could be out till June. You got Matt Miazga, who's been up and down. But, I mean, he's had a, a pretty important role with Reading where basically before Miaska, Reading were allowing about a goal and a half per 90 minutes. When Matt, uh, Matt Miaska arrived and played, it dropped to 1.28. Now, we've talked about it on the show again. Who is the center back pairing that Greg Berhalter is going to rely on? 
And this is a test, especially with injuries. I mean, it was pretty clear in March that John Brooks and Aaron Long looked like they were the best center back pairing. So it'll be interesting to see what Beralter does if those two aren't healthy for the Gold Cup. I guess you would then assume that it has to be Matt Miazga and <laughs> fill in the blank. I'm not, I'm not even sure who the who the fourth center back would be. Is, is it Omar Gonzalez? Do we want to see Omar Gonzalez again back there? I, I'm interested because I mean, maybe like if we want to put all three of them at the same time, maybe instead of Tim Ream, he could throw in like an Aaron Long uh, at left back or a Miazga at left back and have him be that basic uh, three center back line. I mean, if all three of them are really good options, then why not uh, try to get all of them at the field at once? But you, we're talking about what if they're injured or what if they're hurt or not fit enough because they're hurt. Then what? Then what if are we injured, doing? If they're injured, if they're injured. That's that's a Walker Zimmerman kind of thing. I guess you could you can maybe look at Matt Hedges. I mean, they both been playing really well. Yeah, Omar but Walker Gonzalez, Zimmerman Miles is always Robinson. due for a screw up. He, he Miles he's... Robinson, Carter Vickers. Yeah, at this point, you flip a you flip a coin, or you you take a Nerf gun, put all the pitchers on the wall, and you shoot, and wherever the Nerf gun lands, that's that's your center back pairing. It seems like there is no after after John Brooks. Aaron Long, so you you, you kind of have a, a pairing, but after that, it seems to be Russian roulette of center backs. Which two do you want to go with? It, it, there seems to be no dis- distinct differences when it comes to this the the list that you just mentioned, Darman. I, I would kind of like to see Miles Robinson get called up. To be honest with you, he's been playing really well for Atlanta United. Like, very under the radar, really well. It's forced Michael Parker to be a left back, basically. Would love to see that. But, I mean, you're right. There's a high, there's a tier, right? So, you go, you got your you got your best tier of players, and you get the, you get the other guys, right? Um, if they're injured and they're not going to be able to play, well, they don't have your best, you don't have your full-strength lineup in. So, I'm interested to see how it's going to go. But, I mean, I, I think they'll be fine uh, center back-wise. There's more jarring uh, positions of need than center back. Left back's a left back's a disaster. I mean, center mids they have plenty. Right backs okay. You still you're still looking for that right guy to pull it, fill in that hole. Is it Nick Lima? I don't know. He's been playing left back uh, for San Jose in the recent weeks. Um, midfield is fine. I guess the wings are fine. Forward. I mean, look if if outdoors healthy, which I mean if it's another big if, and obviously hasn't been healthy that this year. You obviously throw Alcador up top uh, over. Bizarre. It's like all those things are kind of defined. You have goalkeepers. Like all the U.S. does is produce goalkeepers for, uh, for as a foreign export, basically. Left back is probably your main concern. What are you concerned that Michael Bradley and Will Trapp are going to be the defensive mids or something like that? Like, no, you're not going to be concerned about that. So, I, I think I think that number one fist that left back, and then give Miazzi and Perth Walker Zimmerman. That's a pretty good back line or a pretty good pairing in my eyes, at least. Listeners, let us know what you are expecting with this U.S. Men's National Team roster. Question of the day. What type of stock are you putting into the Gold Cup? At Unc Sam Soccer Pod, hit that subscribe button. Uh, briefly, last two minutes here. The U-20 World Cup. The U.S. is going to kick this off in Poland in a group with Ukraine, Qatar, and Nigeria. Now, Armand... This is an important tournament. We talked about these youth levels 
succeeding and doing well when it comes to these youth level tournaments. This U.S. team is quite talented. I think a lot of people are expecting them to make a a, a decent run at it. They should. They're really talented. This is one of the first classes um, that you see the homegrown, all the homegrowns kick in. And, you know, all these homegrown players starting, playing MLS minutes, getting solid playing time. I mean, Tab said, and as Doug was mentioning, Tab said in in little roundtables some reporters, he was like, look, there could be more players like called up. There's more deserving. There's a lot more deserving. Yes, some players make it who weren't even training camp the month before. Edwin Surreal from Dallas, he did not and was not come up to any of the trainings or anything, but he's played his way into the U20s after all this playing in our Luchi Gonzalez. Look, they're going to be a fun team to watch. I'm honestly really excited to see them play because Tab plays a nice, fun uh, way of soccer. And look, I mean, this is maybe the first time I'm actually really caring about the U20 World Cup, but this is the foundation of the national team, right? Look, these guys are going to be younger. Uh, or not younger. See, I, I keep saying players are going to get younger, like Benjamin Button. Like, what's going on here? Um, but these players that are younger are going to make the foundation of this World Cup team come 2026. I'm talking 2022. Come 2026, they'll be kind of edging towards their prime, 25, 26, 24. And a, a strong showing now can bode well when these guys all come together to go try and qualify for the Olympics as well. Um, or some of these guys will try to go to the uh, qualify for the Olympics as well. It's all about this. It's all about these moments. And that's what the U.S. was lacking before. I think and now a new emphasis and the academy system and the homeless system finally working out a lot better. I we should expect a solid performance from these the guys. Um, hell, maybe see them win it. They won't qualify. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hell, see them win it. Jake, I'll give you the final word. You have the Gold Cup. You have the U twenty World Cup. You have the Women's World Cup. Out of the three, which one do you think is most likely to take it all? I think this is actually a really interesting question. Uh, the U twenties. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been on record on this show many times saying that women aren't going to win the World Cup. Uh, there are a lot of question marks with the men's side too. I, I think I did. I predict that they would win the Gold Cup. I think you did. I think you did. Shoot. Okay. Maybe I gotta stick to my guns. Uh, all right. Let's let's go back. Let's just <laughs> the men. The, they're gonna win the gold cup. There it is. There you have it. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk more about the U.S. Women's World Cup opportunities and chances that kind of give you our preview here in the next couple of weeks before it kicks off. But I think it's a fascinating debate. I mean, think about it. The U.S. could go for what do you want to call it? A triple crown, the treble here. The, the women, <laughs> the men, the U twenty. Why not? Why not us? Why can't it be the U.S. here? So we'll see. A lot of fascinating developments with the U.S. men's national team. Question of the day. How much stock are you putting into the Gold Cup? Let us know. Let us hear your thoughts. Do you disagree with us? At Armankafai, at Jake Watroba, at yours truly, at Steven Jodderand. Until next time. My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. 
The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.